Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is C.M. Alexander with the news. A reddish gold type of moss has been discovered outside of dairy in the Jefferson Tract. This report comes to us from an anonymous phone call which originated from Goslin's Market. Who knows, a find like this could land us back on national news, or even Ripley's Believe It or Not. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, CM Alexander. Alongside Joshua Khan. Hey, everybody. And Benjamin Graham. Howdy, constant readers. And today we are continuing our Patreon selection by Lisa Khan of Dreamcatcher, where we are covering through part two of this book, and we have Josh leading our discussion. Yeah, well, yeah, let's do this. Guys, what's your anthem for when you go in hot? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you can't spring this kind of question on me. It's mountain goats, something. something. Okay, the mountain goats are my favorite band, but you're not going in hot. They you're don't go- have a going in hot song. They have a, a few, maybe. Okay, Lovecraft in Brooklyn, great slaps, but no, you need something like A Wall by Every Time I Die or something by DMX. Oh hell yeah! Oh yeah, yeah, probably something by X. Don't give it to you. Would be a good yeah. going hot song. CM. <laughs> That, that was it. that yeah. was it for all right. That's a good one. If really anything but sympathy for the devil. That's in, that's a slow build for that song. It and it's long. It's so long, <laughs> especially since uh, when it comes into our story, it, they're over before like the first chorus, <laughs> right? At least it wasn't what what was it? Owen would have liked, which was. Matchbox 20? <laughs> I am offended that Stephen King wrote that that band is better than another band. <laughs> yeah, when I, I'm also not the biggest Pearl Jam fan, but when he goes from Pearl Jam, he's like, Matchbox 20, not much better, but I'll take it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh, no one should go in hot to push. It's <laughs> <laughs> 3 a.m., I must be lonely. Better. <laughs> Just <laughs> no, I changed my answer. Yeah, <laughs> if you haven't read this, then you must be very confused what we're talking about, and we'll get to it. But for right now, I want to start with that because one, it's insane, and two, it's because we start this section with the, with the military showing up. What did you guys think of kicking this second part off with how the military is just taking over the Jefferson Tract? I thought it was very king. The the military people, <laughs> mm. the introduction to Kurtz, who... The, ben, are you still listening to the audiobook? Yes, I am. The guy does a great <laughs> job making you hate Kurtz. His tone, the way he says everything, is so horrible and egregious. Despite the fact that he is basically taken wholesale from apocalypse now <laughs> uh and they they lampshade that they're like it's weird that's probably not his even his whole name or his real name. that's probably not even his real name because it just makes you think of kurtz from apocalypse now <laughs> later you find out yeah he changed his name because right. he wanted to sound crazy i guess <laughs> I think he might be one of my new favorite no. Stephen King villains. Yes. Yeah, he's a great villain. Yes. Can he- I, sorry, your comment just now about Apocalypse Now made me think mm. of something that I've been, I've been thinking about since we recorded the first episode. We kind of touched on it. This book sort of throws a lot of different mm-hmm. tropes in, and it seems like it's sort of a mishmash and kind of done haphazardly. But I was wondering, is it supposed to be a device? Because the whole Jonesy character thing and him being the main character versus Henry, which I want to talk about later, or the one to get possessed, that is. Mm. Is that because he's such a movie fan so we can kind of throw those in and his knowledge of it sort of ties it together more as a tool rather than drugs (laughs) fueling inspiration? (laughs) I don't know. It so, was just a thought I played around with. Yeah, I like that. That this is because, yeah, so much of this is informed by what we know just from other media yeah. about aliens and the military and all of this, which I think does make the book better. I hadn't thought about it that mm-hmm. way, but I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious. I I swear to God, I was 
trying to figure out whether we were going to come into this recording and CM was going to be like, the gray boys are the heroes and it was going to be sell all over again. Why Uh, um, would I say that? Because of the information we get that Underhill brings to Kurtz. He has uh, recordings from uh, the NSA has intercepted this transmission and it is celebrity voices saying prime numbers and saying four phrases in rotation. We're helpless. Don't hurt us. There's no infection here. And we're dying in both English and French. I'm going to explain this to you and and you're just going to understand why I don't feel that way about this. With just a few words, toothy, wormy, buttworms. (laughs) Two of those words are the same, I know, but it's so horrifying. If you have that as part of anything you do. (laughs) Yeah, I see where your question is going and I'm halfway I, I could make the argument that you're right and actually will later i think <laughs> oh god <laughs> oh it's um, oh no you've been infected <laughs> but also this is the same kind of argument we had in cell where this this is just a different kind of life the only reason we are saying that it is evil is because it's killing us the red goo, which we find out is the actual alien, the the gray virus, yeah. The, well, and that's the not virus. a that's not an accident. Yeah, this is just a different kind of being alive. It's not a moral villain. Whereas Kurtz, the actual villain of the mm-hmm. story, is the the morally evil character. So I, I don't think that the gray boys are the good guys. I think they're just. Like we argued with the cell zombies, they're just trying to survive and spread. But see, I don't. But this this is an invasion. Yeah, this is I, a full on invasion. I hate to be on Josh's side. <laughs> no, I'm saying the same thing. Am I, I'm not making my argument. Clear. <laughs> no, <you're, laughs> oh, it's yeah, a survival yeah. for them. But and I, no, it's an invasion. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it is. It, it is a malicious invasion. Malicious. It is just a biological being that came here and says my biological drive the only thing this knows kind of like the outsider is eat and spread it doesn't even understand the concept of winning or fighting until it bonds with jonesy and becomes human starts to become human which is where i was going to argue maybe that we are the villains because once this hive mind this interstellar alien brain that we can't even comprehend it recognizes that it is slowly becoming more like humans and it freaks the fuck out <laughs> That's, <laughs> which is amazing i thought about that too a lot i i, I was thinking about the matrix and how mm. they refer to humans as a virus it's like yeah that's look at what happened to mr gray he's being taken over by emotions and like you said there there was no indication that these aliens had emotions like malice mm-hmm. And then now they are going to be worse off having been infected by us. Yes. We are the parasite. And I really wish the book did more with it (laughs) because it is super fascinating. And what you said at the beginning of the episode, CM, where this is so many ideas. This book has like maybe three to five really good books in it. (laughs) Yeah. There are three or five really solid ideas that if you wrote a book narrowed the focus to that one idea, it could have been one of his best. The idea of the military being the true villains in an uh, Like the shot. Yes. Yeah. Is an amazing idea. I wish it was more focused on Kurtz and Underhill's back and forth, mm-hmm. their power struggle, the the stuff with the camping trip and uh, in a secluded woods. That's a good book. When you shove it all together, <laughs> it's just like very easy to get confused. Sure. I think the the power struggle dynamic with Underhill and Kurtz, I found it as a a misdirection or like a subversion of the trope. You would expect that that is going to be a big thing and we just get kind of get glimpses at it and then it's kind of over. <laughs> 
And so I thought I was going and expecting there to be more. And the fact that there wasn't actually made me more I, excited. W- I disagree that there it's a huge part of this entire second book. The problem is it doesn't make any goddamn sense. <laughs> it's a lot of like, so this interaction, they're talking about the message, explaining about that. It's creating a low level telepathy. He even has Underhill read his mind to prove that he can do it. Mm. Uh, and then he's like, well, the only rational thing to do is let's blow up the rest of them. So they get in the choppers and they they head out to to Blue Boy, which was what they've codenamed the ship. Is this the point where we get Kurtz's speech? Yes, because mm-hmm. I want to talk about this for 100 years. <laughs> Go for it. Kurtz, on the way to this black ops mission, gives a speech, which was the point where I'm like, Shit, I think I like this book because it is so crazy. Mm-hmm. King completely drops all idea of subtext. <laughs> it all becomes flat out text. Well, that's before you continue. It's because this that speech is not on the way. It's after mm-hmm. Underhill has turned on oh, the communication channel. So that's all of right. them have heard the pleas. I wondered if he would have given that speech if Underhill hadn't done that. It, That's it, a good point. And he's preaching, he which is. which is what bothers me, which is why I hate him so much, <laughs> because it's always those really preachy, and he's not, I wouldn't even call him a religious character. Oh, no. he He's definitely that, the, that saying that, you know, the Antichrist will come wrapped in the flag and carrying a Bible, mm-hmm. like the dude's evil. But the speech he makes is objectively absurd, because he basically just comes out and is like, hey, listen up, everyone. I'm a dick. I'm <laughs> evil, and the shit I do is evil. But guess what? America, baby. God and Jesus. What up? And everyone <laughs> loses their minds, and it's very funny to me. I set, I set my book down and applauded. I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I was waiting for all his sunglasses to fly off. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the effective part about that, uh, you're right, there is no subtext in that speech. But it was really fascinating to hear him. This is where we find out how much they already know mm-hmm. because he's telling them mm-hmm. we they've got telepathy, they've they've got butt worms. That <laughs> they've if, been visiting us yep, for decades. If they explode, they turn into this stuff, and even mm-hmm. a little bit, it gets on a living person, it'll get you. And his the main point of you all feel this telepathy. If you keep it, you'll go insane. So let's burn this mother to the ground. And everyone's like, yeah, play some sympathy for the devil. The fact that he makes Underhill give the order to Mm -hmm. start the attack after he pulled that stunt, I thought was just another feather in his dick cap. (laughs) We we should, that's That's not, that's not Is that not the phrase? No, much like this book, Many of the things you say are not catchphrases. <laughs> um, yeah, should we just real quick say the reason there's tension between we keep saying the trick? Yeah, literally, it's just Owen flips the comms on so they can hear the message for another few seconds. And that moment, we go to Kurt's point of view and he's like scared of how angry it made him. And is immediately like, that guy's done. Uh, Because of this, and also he didn't murder those kids in Cambodia a decade ago. (laughs) Yeah, the this was his second chance, and he blew it without knowing it was a second chance, because he wouldn't shoot a bunch of kids. Underhill's a dick. (laughs) Uh, Also, what did you think that they codenamed the virus Ripley as an homage to Alien? That is offensive. I was I what? Love, I love Ripley. I was trying Why'd they named yeah. it after the the hero. I was trying to find the symbolism that I was missing. Me too. That they would name this virus after a feminist action icon. It's sexist. <laughs> yeah. I didn't think about I, that. I've I, I'll have to do some research on this because there's something there. I just don't know what the fuck they're trying to say. I thought it was more speaking to the boys club military kind yeah. of lifestyle. But I, I could be wrong, but that's kind of how I took it. I just thought it was the most succinct reference to Alien. Because calling it like Xenomorph is just too wordy. 
Ripley is just a quick, easy. Like I can't think of anything shorter or more concise that would still be a reference that I would recognize right away. Regardless. Could have named it like they were scientists or something. Nah. <laughs> uh, okay. CM, tell us about Underhill's boner. Oh, I knew you were oh going to make God. me talk about this. Only because you messaged our group chat about it. Play the sting. <laughs> well, I don't even remember what I said. I usually don't do that. It's boner talk. All right. It took me a long time to get over this. Luckily, it comes back and it's somewhat important. Yes. And it kind of... It makes the moment... Okay, so my first thought upon... And I'll explain what happened in a minute. But my first thought upon being exposed to this story was, oh, way to make me hate a... What's I assume is supposed to be one of the good guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then later when it comes back, I'm like, okay, somehow you softened that and I don't quite hate him. <laughs> yeah, so, they use it as a very weird redemption arc. Yeah. It, yes, and it... it it's his, it's basically our introduction to this character, Underhill. Super weird choice. It's about when he was a little kid, he's playing outside and his neighbors come rushing out of their house. The The man, you know, with the woman, there's something wrong with her. And he's like, tell your parents, lock the doors, because he's just rushing out. He, he says uh, it, his wife is on a gurney. He's like, mm. it's a stroke. Tell your mom. And Underhill thinks it's a stork, so he thinks she's going into labor or something. Sure, of course. So he he goes into the house, and rather than locking the door like they asked, and he prefaces this by explaining that these neighbors, the kindest people you could ever meet, super mm. nice to him, just really cool people. So he goes in the house, and he gets like this, just this overwhelming urge to pee on the guy's toothbrush. He can't do it because... <sighs> It arouses him. I'm not going to say the word. Ben, what was your thought on the finally getting dingus into a book? Back to CM. No, it's (laughs) such a weird, like CM said, it's such a weird choice because he's introduced as the foil of Kurtz, Mm -hmm. who literally might as well be named General Reginald T. Bad Guy. Like, (laughs) Well, he's named Kurtz, which is... Yeah, yeah. So you're automatically like, okay, so this guy is going to be the the guy that slowly comes around. Or maybe it's the guy that they kind of hint that he'll come around, but then he'll fail and we'll see his fall and he'll become just like Kurtz. Whatever. That seems like it would make sense. And then we're introduced that he's a friggin' weirdo. Mm. Uh, a lawyer, <laughs> yeah, that he he ignores this woman's stroke. Granted, he's like what six? Or yeah, something. he's really young. He's really young, but ignores the trouble and the order to go tell his mom. And breaks into someone's house and then peeing on someone's toothbrush. That's too much. Yeah. Too much, man. So when he can't do it because he's too hard at the idea of what he's doing, which is the part that's disturbing. It's like, what is wrong with your brain? He breaks a a plate instead. And and then he thinks that if they had asked me why I did that, I would have told the truth, which is I don't know. And And it keeps coming up because he does regret it. But at some point he says, I have been I've broken plates over and over again. And I know this is how he meant it, but I did imagine him anytime he's in a different city, you know, for a mission, breaking into someone's house and smashing their plate. Just finding the biggest plate he can find. Yeah, it's a weird metaphor that does uh, seem it, it. There was a lot of this uh, listening to the audiobook that was kind of hard to follow. <laughs> and I, when he said that the first time, I was like, is this guy confessing that he's like a serial That's like a red or? flag for being a murderer, right? <laughs> it sounds like it. I think it's it just reflects that he he loves senseless violence. The fact that there was no rhyme or reason to it, I, it was the thrill of committing violence. I thought you were going to say he loves sensuality <laughs> he too. he's a sensual boy he's a little kid he's pre-sexual <laughs> uh and i and i thought that that was a hint at why he has what has let him get to this rank in this black ops kind of group is that he has had no problem committing senseless violence that's kind of his jam so for this instance to be where he's having a weird moral issue stands out yeah and i i guess it goes to the kids too the the reason he was on his second chance. He really enjoyed that, but he's still ashamed of it. Mm-hmm. 
So we go in hot. <laughs> and the helicopters attack and blow up the UFO. And I thought it was interesting that he mentions they didn't run. Several of them walked forward, hands in the air, and bullets cut them in half and tore them to shreds. And then a few tried to make it into the woods, and they self-destructed the ship and took out one of the helicopters and its crew, uh, who were still alive in the wreckage, already covered Mm. in the virus, and where everybody was ordered back, and they had to leave them there to die. And I wonder, where did this happen in the timeline? Because did they not run because they already knew that problem theoretically solved? I don't know. Oh, I assume they didn't run because they were in a helicopter crash. No, No, the the aliens. aliens. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) I wonder if they were still trying to play with the ruse that they were not hostile invaders. I guess that makes sense because I was thinking, well, if you've been visiting us for decades, you know how violent we are. But then if they hadn't experienced our emotions before, maybe they didn't know that because they couldn't understand that emotion. Possible. But the uh, explosion creates this massive whirlwind and the air rushes up to all of the helicopters. And as they're flying away, Underhill notices a line of red under the fingernail of the pilot Mm -hmm. and is like, well, we're all fucked. Yeah. Great. Then we jump over to Henry, who's back at Hole in the Wall. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Go on. This is, was this not so incredibly disturbing and, and badass and rad? Watching him walk in and see the uh, Hole in the Wall overtaken? Yeah, a writhing back. So he comes back and nobody's there. He finds Beeve's body in that carnage. Oof. And he goes into the bedroom where the guy was laying in Jonesy's bed. And there's a worm thing and there are like it has laid eggs and these eggs are starting to hatch. And it's all these like thread like, you know, tiny little things that are just writhing. pool like with big bulging black eyes. And there's like a hundred of these eggs. It's not even a small amount. He does literally the only thing you can do, <laughs> which is also which is why. Which loses entire yeah. mind. <laughs> which is also why it's kind of like. The aliens are the bad guys because that scene is nightmare fuel. That was really upsetting. Up to the point where we get the reason the chapter is named what it is. The oh, journey of the Eggman. Egg yeah. So you're listening to this. Yes. Uh, oh. Listen to this chapter in the audiobook, y'all. Because oh, no. uh, while he's he's searching. Yes, I'm okay, absolutely going to do <laughs> it. I will do my best anyway. I don't know if I can match his verve but as he's going through this he's searching for the lighter fluid and losing his mind he starts singing i am the walrus Mm -hmm. yeah by the beatles Mm -hmm. but not it's described in the text he says he's not actually singing it he's he's doing a strange like monotone that he didn't know monotone this this uh deep baritone uh, but the guy oh. doing the audiobook does the voice, and it makes me laugh so hard. I need me to go listen to this. So it hard. is not <laughs> threatening. It's so weird. He just like, so he'll be reading in this really unnerving scene, and these little bugs, these little worms that he's trying to not touch, and he'll be like, he sprays, he sprays the uh, lighter fluid over the bed. I am the Eggman. <laughs> what? He flips a match out of the matchbook and f- lights it with his finger. There's a pop. I am the walrus. He threw- throws it at the bed and it doesn't work. So he throws another one. That actually happens. My <laughs> waste our time book. Uh, it's just he keeps doing this goofy voice in this very serious unnerving scene. I found it very funny, but it also does a great job of showing how close to the edge he is. That's wild. The only thing I hated about it is that the performance was, and I'm not saying this was the wrong choice, it was <laughs> effective, grating. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, man, yes. It, it also, if it's not clear, <laughs> it also sounds very dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he, he lights Hole in the Wall on fire, with, and he takes a moment to think about like, oh man, this this is... Part of our childhood and my friends are dead or dying and now this place is gone. This is it. And he puts on his snowshoes and he decides that he's going to make it back to town, which is how many miles? 
Is it like 20 or something? It, it's yeah. a long Through way. the snow and he does, he's just got to walk it. I loved though when he's he's walking and he looks down and he sees something red on him. And <laughs> I, I probably would have fainted thinking that's Absolutely. what it was. It was just a string, but it was like such a cool, like real moment. I, it was, but it's such a throwaway where he like looks down and he's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And <laughs> the, the book says like, he, he reaches for it towards it. But what is he supposed to do? Just pull it off. And then literally the next sentence is, which is exactly what it does, because it's a string. <laughs> See, I thought that, like, that plus the moment he gets the cross-country skis and then gets away and then mm. the windows blow out. And he's like, huh, all that glass would have taken off half my face. Woo! And then it just goes. <laughs> it's like, just builds on his insanity of, like, nothing means anything anymore. And it's awesome. So he eventually makes his way back to where he'd left Pete. Pete is gone. That woman's still dead, mm-hmm. hanging out by the fire. And he notices that the side of her that is facing the fire, the virus is still red and still growing, but everything away on the other side of her is gray and dying. So he now knows that it can't survive in the cold. That's why it's latching on to us and growing so much indoors and all of that. And he sees that the Arctic cat tracks are here. So now he's he knows, all right, Jonesy did make it here. He must have taken Pete. And that's as far as I know right now. So mm-hmm. I'll just follow those tracks. Follows them all the way back to the scout where he eats a bunch of hot dogs. That? <laughs> you guys thought that was funny. I I did feel his, his uneasiness yeah. about it. <laughs> also, I do have to point out, I'm on your guys' side. Henry's a dick. Oh, okay. Because it was as he's sitting before he goes to the scout when he's leaving, he thinks about Pete and mentions that it was so sad that Pete saw a future with this girl he was dating because she sewed up the rip in his coat. And it was probably more about how she was raised than about how she felt about him. And I was like, fuck, dude, your friend's dead. (laughs) Come on. That that is his analytical psychiatrist brain. That was just rough, man. There's another moment later, too, where later he's having a conversation with Owen and Owen says something. And he's like, oh, all of his training taught him to, you know, he's such a good psychiatrist that he just didn't say anything. Like, apparently he does with all of his patients, even if Mm -hmm. it kills him until he does say (laughs) something. And something else he said about Jonesy, I was like, oh, he wished that it was Jonesy there instead of him because Jonesy was so good with words. I'm like, you're a... You therapist. <laughs> if only it had been Beeve. <laughs> he could have catchphrased his way out of this. Oh, I love it. Oh, uh, Beeve gone too soon. Yeah. He gets past the, <laughs> he carries some hot dogs, leaves the guns because nobody can keep a gun around here. Leave the gun. Take the hot dogs. <laughs> Probably good that he Classic. did though. Yes. Because when he makes it to base, I thought this, I was picturing it so perfectly in my head, this amusing moment where the, the soldiers are like freeze and he, it startles him. So he loses balance and he starts to like fall and slide down this hill and he, he finally gets up. And they're still screaming at him. And you think, are they just going to shoot him? And he's like, I come bearing hot dogs. And holds out the hot dog package. <laughs> yeah, he once he gets to this camp, he really becomes a, a real quipster. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's safe and sound now. Now we get to what I got me really excited about part two. We catch back up with Jonesy. This is why I love this book. Jonesy's going through some stuff. Jonesy comes to and is basically reliving the day he was hit by the car. This part was the first time during the book that I was like, or during the audiobook that I was like, okay, hold on, what? <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, yeah, Jonesy becomes unstuck in time and it's real confusing for a few minutes until it finally becomes clear, like, oh, he's. He's like. accessing his, the memory of the day he got hit because now he's like inside his own head, trapped mm-hmm. because of the the virus mm-hmm. and Mr. Gray. And it's a mix of what happened and a fever dream, which, God, I love a good King dream sequence. Okay, so this, I kept going back and forth. Well, I don't Whether everything was literal away, or not. Though. Because it can't I, all be literal because there was stuff like Duditz's mom driving the okay. ambulance I, Well, or so whatever. my question was, is it literal in that that 
image was mm. actually at that time placed mm. in his head. Like Duddits wasn't there in person. Mr. Gray wasn't there in person. But that that was put in his head at the time it happened to cause the accident. Or is it being used now to communicate with him? Mm. And I think there's a potential for either one. I just can't remember how the rest of the book goes. I think because and we discussed this in part one that their their powers are so unclear defined. yeah and i imagine that seeing duddits and the gray is real because like that it was some because um henry tells him like watch out for for mr gray when they're on the phone that day they so we we have established there's some level of premonition mm-hmm. that is here okay I think I have something. I'm going to work it through out loud. Good. I believe, because the problem with Mr. Gray actually being in his, because we find now in the sequence that Mr. Gray was there while Jonesy was in the hospital uh, screaming. Anyway, he sees Mr. Gray at times in his life that the alien would not have been there. But when Mr. Gray and Jonesy start talking, one of the first things that Mr. Gray says is when this is how we travel. When you move fast enough, every kind of travel is time travel or something mm-hmm. to that degree. So I don't yes and no. <laughs> so like the alien, he saw the alien at that time or Duddits too, because w- when he walked into the street, it was because he saw Duddits. Mm-hmm. So maybe like they weren't actually there. They're still in the current time period, but they put themselves back there to cause the events to happen. I don't know what I'm talking about, you guys. <laughs> That's time travel. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's something to do with time travel, y'all. Yeah. I imagine <laughs> that the premonition is a warning that Duddits will be in danger and that. Stop shaking your head, Macy. No, later they say that Duddits did that. Like, oh, they actually say that Duddits caused the accident. Like, it was intentional on his part. Not no, that's not he caused it because he saw him. But it was that's the wrong accident. Duddits caused the accident. No, they say he caused this one. Which one? I think you're mistaken. I've listened to it five times, and that's why you're wrong. (laughs) Is this something that (laughs) is revealed later? That we don't, don't know. Okay, just Have move you read? On. Did you just listen to part two? Over yeah, because no, I the whole thing over. I've read this before. But okay, well, because okay. yeah, they definitely have not said that yeah, yet. They have not. They imply that it's the other wreck <laughs> that we'll talk about okay, later that right. Duddits caused because he's on the street crying. I love uh, not or, remembering the end of a book. <laughs> honest to God, I literally finished this segment of reading about ten minutes before we started <laughs> recording, and I can barely parse. <laughs> If who is correct, because (laughs) there's a lot, there's so much you guys. Yeah. And there were so many times where something would happen and I'm like, I have no idea in the timeline where, when this is happening (laughs) at certain point, there are nested flashbacks. Yes. Uh, It's, it's real tough. Y'all. I I do love though, followed by this. He, he finds himself in his hospital room, but Mr. Gray is in the bed and what he calls Bowser, the the yeah. worm thing, which endeared it to me. It's like, oh, well, it can't be bad because it's named Bowser, even though Bowser's bad. <laughs> I just loved it. <laughs> and Mr. Gray's trying to to manipulate him. And I just thought that was a really it's it's this stuff. And when he goes into his his memory warehouse and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I love this story. It's just such a cool concept. Yeah. As they're in the. In the room, Mr. Gray shows him Sympathy for the Gray Boys, the TV movie they're watching, Mm -hmm. starring the one and only Jonesy. And he watches, as he refers to it, Shed Jonesy, read the mind of a tech sergeant at the military base to get the cat working, which Mm -hmm. was fucking cool as hell. Yeah, this guy describing, making it feel like uh, his hands felt like uh, gloves with another set of hands inside of them. And describes (laughs) it as, quote, a feeling that was wholly unpleasant. <laughs> Which, I, I love that. Yeah. That is such a massive understatement. It's very funny. We catch up to what Jonesy was doing. He he drives past. He sensed Henry behind the tree, even though Henry thought he'd hid. He shows up to where Pete oh, is. Oh, he, he hid Henry from Mr. Gray. 
Like he blocked his knowledge of Henry being behind the tree. Peter did. He just didn't care. He just didn't need Henry. So he just. Wow. I swear to God, <laughs> it said he kept that from Mr. Gray. I really wish I could tell you which one of you was right. Just continue. Jeez. Don't even matter. I apparently really zoned out through parts of this book. He gets to Pete, sees that Pete is growing, like his tongue has virus on it. He, oh, oh talk about his eyeball, Josh. Oh, yeah, he, he doesn't have a left eye anymore. There's just virus growing out of it. And it moves. And it moves. <laughs> and- I, I hate, I hate I hate any kind of like <laughs> mold fungus that moves anything <laughs> like if you watch videos of like fungus growing like, uh, you know, the, the yeah, st- slow yeah. motion or whatever, whatever you call it. The fast motion of fungus. I hate it. It's so (laughs) unbelievably repulsive to me. And this is the grossest fucking thing. It is so invasion of the body snatchers. And I love it. But I'm very mad that Stephen King thinks that the remake with Jeff Goldblum was garbage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and that he thinks of it as the one with what's his name. He doesn't even think of Jeff Goldblum. No, Sutherland. Yeah, Donald Donald Sutherland. Sutherland. I feel so bad for Pete for the rest of the story. Yeah. Because Pete... He doesn't want to get on the cat, so Mr. Gray makes the virus squeeze him into screaming. He proceeds to fall off the cat several times. He still has a shredded knee, too. Oh, God, I forgot about his knee. And just keeps getting dragged along just because they, they need to get to the road and the, quote, flashlight that the Mr. Gray is following will die eventually. And he needs Pete to tell him where North is. That's what Pete, Pete's been reduced to a compass (laughs) until he is finally allowed to blissfully die with his skull being shattered inward. And he and Jonesy communicate with each other telepathically. That was tough. Yeah. Like when he's like, Oh, you're safe in there. Got room for one more. (laughs) We both know you do not. (laughs) That was, that was tough. Real quick. Explain the aliens to me. The greys or the virus? They're the same thing. Are they? Right? See, that's the thing. (laughs) Are they? Because later they talk about uh, the buttworms Mm -hmm. not being cannibalistic, but when they're in humans, they are. And the the greys explode into the virus. So I feel like it's just different levels of a symbiotic relationship. Except we know the greys, they must have been originally a separate species. They might have. Maybe they took them over and it was a better match than humans. Because when something gets in the humans, like the worms, for example, they eat them. They just can't stop eating. Sometimes. They say sometimes they give. Because not everyone gets the the implants, as as the military calls them. But the implants kill. Yes. And not everybody will die from, there's like different levels of infection with the virus. Okay, sure. I, I think and, we're just incompatible with them. And Mr. Gray has telepathic link to... To, to anybody who has... No, I but uh, I meant a telekinetic control of the red. Because when yeah. he kills Pete, he like it acts like fingers pressing yes. into and squeezing a sponge. I think the gray boys could probably manipulate the virus w- within some sort of distance of wherever they're at. Okay. All of that checks out. <laughs> it None of this is described well. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard. It's, it's a beefy book. It's so there's a, a lot boy. of, there's a lot of details <laughs> that I feel like if you, you can miss it and we're in a less beefy boy. you know that's one sentence in 20 pages this is missing one sentence in 300 pages and it just never circles back to certain details i i'm going to have to i think i said this last episode that i'm gonna have to go back to reading this book (laughs) for the last section because it'll make a lot more sense i think yeah will that happen no (laughs) (laughs) so jonesy is hiding in the tracker brothers office That's where he has holed up in his mind palace and realizes that while Gray is distracted, he can sneak some extra thoughts in there and (laughs) opens the door to find a warehouse of all of his thoughts, which 
We know King likes to mm-hmm. have our brains in catalogs. It's a really cool idea. I do love how the inside of the brain is depicted in this. In this, however, it's also it, it also doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Am am I in it having to do physical actions? Because like it hints toward the whole Matrix thing of none of it's real, mm-hmm. so you can do whatever. But the fact that it still has the limits of he has to sneak out and grab boxes to remember stuff. But he doesn't. He just thinks he does because he's coming to grips with how it like your gut reaction is to still handle it physically because that's Mm -hmm. how your brain is used to handling it. Because he conjures stuff on accident later. Like he furnishes the office and things change. That's right. He creates the thermostat. He hangs a much more tasteful painting. (laughs) It's the limitations of his like physical mind that he thinks he has to do this. But at first, all he can hide is the boxes that say Duddits and like one or two that say Dairy on it. And he's like, this is probably fine. <laughs> and Gray is like really pissed off about it and looks in one of the boxes and he's like, I still have what I need. The image that this book paints of being trapped in your mind yeah. in this space mm-hmm. with an alien outside that door mm. trying to get in and cannot get in. Like b- because this whole situation has been orchestrated previously, which makes Jonesy mm. special, which gives him this unique hiding place that Mr. Gray can't penetrate is so freaking cool. This is another one of those good books that I was mentioning. (laughs) I wish this entire book was just about this. Mm -hmm. If this were just about a dude who is possessed by an alien entity and has to go about his life where the alien is living his life and he's trying to figure out how to escape or take back his body... That sounds like a fucking amazing book. (laughs) It just so happens to be in this book with four or five other plots. We have a scene with uh, Kurtz and Underhill where Kurtz shoots a guy's foot off. Sure. I don't know what else you Um, need to say about that. No, you don't. Other than I loved this scene. It it was. (laughs) It's the next scene that that we have to talk about. Yes. Yeah. Because Henry has called out to Underhill before he went into this meeting and yelled out the guy's wife and daughter's names. And so that has prompted Underhill to come back to him. And this is where Henry has pieced together. Everybody around him seems to have some low-level telepathy. And meanwhile, Kurtz is telling Underhill that the president's going to go on TV. Tell everybody about greys and aliens and mind control and all this shit. But not buttworms. But not buttworms. I I think this is my favorite scene. Yeah? Yeah, I think I know what you're going to say. Please, please. The whole time this is happening, because he he does this crazy thing where he shoots a guy in the foot for using a, a, a terrible word that you should never use, which is used in this book, among others, and the one we talked about last episode. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really weird because then he does the same thing himself later in his own mind. It, it's setting up this sort of like duality in Kurtz. And Owen the whole time is thinking about or trying not to think about how crazy he is, mm-hmm. how even though he knows he's crazy, even though he knows he's lying about stuff, there are still some instances like he he cries, you know, a single tear and he's like, am I seeing the real Kurtz? He's just never 100% sure of what is happening with this guy. Mm-hmm. And it puts you on edge so beautifully because you don't know either. That's exactly it. Although it's funny because I w- I never felt on edge I felt so clearly the conflict that Underhill was feeling Mm -hmm. because he comes in and he diffuses the situation where Kurtz very nearly could have killed this kid Mm -hmm. because he said this slur. And then Kurtz goes off on this speech about how you shouldn't be racist, uh, which is interesting, kind of a switch up of King's trope of racism being shorthand for evil Mm -hmm. but after this meeting he sits down and he starts cleaning up this soldier's blood and it immediately takes underhill back and kurtz is like you know i was always I, i was always told that you should clean up your own messes and he's just so like forthcoming and like sincere uh well seemingly sincere not sincere at all as it turns (laughs) Mm -hmm. out but uh just like very earnestly charismatic and even you as the reader or at least me 
I was like, I don't buy this for a second, but it's still, it, it's so convincing and that makes it scarier. Well, that's what put me on edge mm-hmm. that the Owen was kind of lost in that, even though he knew better. Mm-hmm. I think it comes down to where we, he talks about the, the cover up that they're going to obliterate everything. They'll tell the media that they took the survivors, mm-hmm. they're treating them, there will be updates that trickle out, and eventually the last one will die un- uncured. But he talks about it like the difference is we're killing Americans. And that's mm-hmm. really what makes this a tragedy. Ugh. And that like that's the where all of the sincerity he was kind of building dashed away from me mm-hmm. was like oh it's it's still about the spin well, it's, it's never not about the spin yeah it's like i said earlier he he has that oh racism is bad but then he mm-hmm. makes a slur later guys he's just trying to cure a pandemic <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Too which is almost real. like almost word for word something he says <laughs> in here but yeah it, it definitely leaves underhill on this weird fence because he he's been on this dark side long enough that he can see the merit to what Kurtz is telling him. He considers the people acceptable losses, which he tells Henry later when they're talking. I really hope uh, one quick thing in this scene before we move on that Owen, I'm going to call him Owen from mm-hmm. now on because okay. uh, eventually Underhill switches to Owen. I really hope it comes back that he is talented with the telepathy, whereas Kurtz isn't. Because when they first test, when he first walks in, Kurtz tells him, think of a number. Or I'm thinking of a number, and Owen is not only able to tell him exactly what it is, but like more the detail, color, yeah, yeah, more detail. But was Kurtz putting him on so that to make Owen think he doesn't oh, know shit. that he's not as good at telepath? He's he can't Ooh. read him as well as he can, so he might. Oh not shit, he got himself. one over on me God too. Damn it, See, that's Kurtz. why it put me on edge. Oh, he's so good. <laughs> you don't know what he's capable <laughs> it's of. So good. Kurtz is a fucking cartoon character, but I he's so compelling. But I a love lot it. of horrible people in our world today are also cartoon characters, and that's what makes yep. them terrifying. Yeah. We jump back to Jonesy and Gray, buddy cop film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where Jonesy is starting to realize he can decorate the room a little bit. The There's a picture of all of them as kids on the wall. There's just like little things that have now been added. And he watches as Gray needs a car. <laughs> he ditches the snowmobile and gets uh, Andy Janice, who is one of driving one of the trucks for the army, gets him to pull over and not only stab himself in the eye with a pen, but slowly shove it all oh the way gosh. in until it hits the back of his skull, basically. <sighs> that is a savage death scene. Reminds it- me of Cell. Yes, so upsetting. Uh, any any violence with a pencil reminds me of the dark half. Yeah, oh, um, yeah but yeah. if Jonesy's whole thing is wanting to inf- spread the infection, well, not Jonesy, but Mister Gray's whole thing is he wants to spread. Why does he kill this guy? Why not just like spit in his mouth? That's oh, because he he already has a, a little cute dog to infect. Oh, he's he's not in a hospitable environment yet, though. Too because his his goal is to spread it more efficiently i think yeah and that makes sense but it seems like even if you were just spreading to one or two people well they you still have free will though when you get it so if he just spit in his mouth he could be like oh and also because jonesy is special he doesn't die from this so i guess it makes sense because the soldier would just turn into red goop after he alerted (laughs) everyone else yeah (laughs) yeah this is this is the scene where Jonesy starts grabbing boxes while this guy's being brutally murdered. And Gray notices, oh shit, he's out of his hiding place, and jumps back into his head. I love that he's like, he wasn't expecting to be in a brightly lit warehouse, <laughs> so the alien grabs his eyes and screams for a minute, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, that part's really cool. And it gives Jonesy just enough time to get back into his... His secure warehouse. Yeah. And this is what we talked about earlier, that Mr. Gray hates being Mr. Gray with a passion, that he's being infected by emotions. Because he doesn't think of himself as a him or her. Yep. I also, this chapter did make the decision for me. I'm now referring to tantrums as emotional ejaculations from now on. (laughs) Yeah, he throws throws a a tantrum like, you know, it said Jonesy when he would get really mad, would would like to slam his fist on something. And Mr. Gray just full on 
throws a fit. And it's it's weirdly tragic, like you're not rooting for him, but to see him taking on these human aspects is like, that's when I started to really, oh man, we're the bad guy too. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, I mean, the book keeps saying that things are cancer, yeah. but cancer they use it interchangeably title. for the aliens and humans. Mm-hmm. So We're all cancer. It's rough. <laughs> Now he's back in the office and a desk and phone have appeared and it's Beaver on the other end of the phone. He looks at the window and they're back at Hole in the Wall back in 1978 when they are 14 and they woke up from having the same dream. Do you guys want to talk about the dream? Yeah, uh, this is the part where I I got kind of confused because of these nesting flashbacks. Because the first thing that happens is they're, they're yelling about a guy not having a head. Yeah, he doesn't his head was off and his eyes were full of mud. And you're like, wait, huh? What's <laughs> going on? And then they're all waking up and Beaver is outside of Hole in the Wall crying. And they come out and find him. And you know, Beaver's like the tough guy. He he's always the one putting up the the facade, you know. He's got a motorcycle jacket with so many zippers. <laughs> exactly. And so that the fact that he's the one crying kind of shakes everyone. And they they gather around him. And then it flashes back into this dream that they all had. There is a car overturned down this embankment. There are kind of body parts Mm -hmm. (laughs) all over the place. They see Richie Grenado's head, who is the bully who tried to make Duddits eat that turd. That's whose head is off and lying somewhere. Duddits is crying a woman's hand is sticking out of the window. It's just, it's a massacre with this overturned car. It's implied that through their fear of him making good on his promise to get them, they somehow caused this accident. Right. There, there's also a weird thing that I don't know if I missed it or if it'll come back later, that Duddits has something on his shoulder, a white thing sticking out. Yeah. I assume that comes back later because it's mm-hmm. not it a, explained. A, a white plastic thing in his shoulder. Yep. Um, I am not entirely sure. Is he with them at Hole in the Wall? No. He's not, right? No. And they call him. They have a shared dream. Yeah, they call him the next day. I guess this could answer the question I had earlier about did Duddits and Mr. Gray insert themselves or were they inserting themselves into his memory that he was experiencing mm. of his car accident? Because he's remembering when they then go into town and they call him to make sure he's okay. And the whole time Jonesy is like just super hot. He's thinking about how he has to get out of there, how hot it is. And it's a trick from Mr. Gray. Full disclosure, I did fall asleep during this chat. <laughs> okay. So I do not remember that part. Okay. No, but there's, yeah, there's there's stuff you might be picking up on that I think is, okay. we're going to find out. Yeah. Back in the present, we are with Henry, who has also been flashing back to this memory that Jonesy is also flashing back to. And he's standing there in front of Underhill. And Henry tells him about the uh, Imperial Valley, which is the bug out code, basically. Mm-hmm. That, And he's like, Kurtz is going to leave you here to die. We're going to all die. He, him and a select few are leaving. And Owen's like, eh, no, you're misinformed. And he goes to walk away. And Henry's like, you tried to pee on a toothbrush and you broke a plate. <laughs> yeah, and that gets him. And he's like, huh. Oh, nobody was supposed to know about that. Nobody was supposed to know about my dingus. <laughs> I I really love how their relationship develops, though. Yes. So Henry is now feels the the virus growing in him, and he knows that you know him and everybody else's time is is coming up, and he needs Owen's help to do something. So they secretly meet Owen on the outside of the mm-hmm. shed, pretending to smoke, and Henry on the inside. Scaring people away so that he can talk to Owen. I, and I love that they're communicating verbally and telepathically. And yes. it gets to the mm-hmm. point where they're not differentiating between the two forms of communication yeah, Which is so cool. Mm-hmm. That is a, that is a if you had a superpower, like choice. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where we, to catch everybody up on summarizing the situation that they're in, which is what Henry and Owen are doing together, is that... All the physical greys are dead. The weasels don't work because they'll eat themselves to death. And the virus doesn't work because it's too cold, but it could grow and mutate given the time. Mm -hmm. The argument here being that this thing could almost solve itself 
if nature ran its course here now that they've done what they've done. Murdering everyone here will not help anything. Right. Yeah. The real and problem. a virus has never mutated. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, real, <sighs> the real problem is typhoid Jonesy. Right. Which yes. Kurtz identifies as if there's someone who can carry this, that's an issue. But we we accounted for everybody because the beeve only said there were two people yeah. in the cabin. So that's I'm really I glad guess that, where that came, came back. back. Yeah. You yeah. almost miss it though. <laughs> and they point out that this likely this is an invasion and it's a suicide mission because these aliens firmly believe they cannot lose, which is something that Gray says over and over to Jonesy. And something they, they draw King draws parallels between Gray and Kurtz mm-hmm. as being a similar kind of person. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that line. We always win. We always lose. We always die. And we always live or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's scary. Yeah. Goddamn warrior poet, Grace. <laughs> <laughs> this is where and Owen asks Henry about what he's doing. And he says basically that they are him and his friends are different because they were telepaths before basically so this is why it affects them differently and what makes them stronger but they need to go after jonesy and so they have this plan they're going to create a diversion between four and six a.m he'll turn off the electricity to the fence and they'll escape henry wants to release everybody and owen's like that's stupid everyone will (laughs) die and he's like everyone will die anyway so let's just let them out use all of these human (laughs) beings as uh no, but not everyone's going to die. Some people are not going, they're going to recover from the infection, depending on what level of yeah, infection Yeah, but he's literally sending them to attack a military outpost. But their alternative it's, is to be killed no matter what. So at least they have a, he's giving them a fighting chance, basically. Sure. I, it's not great. It's Neither not options great. are great. Well, while they wait for, to put this plan in place, we pull up to the standpipe in Derry. Okay, did you you guys knew the second that they're uh, talking, Jonesy and Mr. Gray, and there's a picture in his mind palace, I guess, of uh, a big, they they say it's just a big pipe standing on a hill. Mm -hmm. And immediately I was like, oh, that shit's not there anymore. (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about? Yeah, they, I uh, honestly had completely forgotten about what the standpipe was. Me too. And so when it came down to this, he pulls up and he's expecting to be able to poison the water supply of the town. And the standpipe's gone because back in 1985, it was destroyed in a hurricane. Huh. Weird. Wonder what huh. happened there. Yeah. I like there's just like a brief description of, of the <laughs> events from it. When it started, I was like, I swear to God, if he recaps the entire plot of it in this book, that's great. Which also, Ben, that answers the question that we had last episode when the kids talk about kids going missing. Mm-hmm. The events when they found Duddits there were maybe 10 years before mm-hmm. Pennywise came back. Um, But here is why I'm furious. They're in the place of the standpipe. There is a monument to the Losers Club and has all their names on it. And it has been spray painted. Pennywise lives on it. And I'm so fucking mad. What do you guys feel about this annoying addition? I know everyone's up in arms about there even being a plaque because how could they remember long it, enough to do it? It's not a plaque. It's like it's a, a, a statue. A statue, whatever. Is it? Yeah, it's a full on, it's a statue of two kids. Who, like give, one of them's giving, I had a description did, and I. Whatever. Yeah. It, it's a monument. And, uh, oh, I thought the, the but their names were just right, spray their na- painted on no. it. No. No, the names are engraved on the plaque. Yeah. It says like. Oh, uh, well, that's stupid. <laughs> okay. For Christ's sake. <laughs> Everybody hates it because of the amnesia. Like if they how how would they remember to do that to to create this monument? Did they just do it before they left? I yeah. know, I don't care about that it. Makes, that I makes I just don't care. That makes the well that, that does, also, it doesn't why annoy would me. the town have known about these kids? The the losers club did it. Oh. Like they erected the monument cuz mm-hmm. I I presume they oh, I was... stayed in town to help with the recovery and then while they did that they like the fact that the monument's there I love it's the Pennywise lives spray paint on it. Like, what's the point of it then if they didn't actually kill it? So well, he can write a sequel in a few years. Stupid. I'm so mad. Betty, 
I don't know. I, I, oh, no. It back. gave me hope that Mr. Gray's plan all along was to go team up with Pennywise. Yeah. I don't think that's going <laughs> to happen. <laughs> they tie in, oh, my cousin. What? <laughs> 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 it's confirmed. <laughs> He's, he was a gray boy. <laughs> Pennywise, so the dancing gray boy. Uh, meanwhile, in Derry, Roberta wakes up because Duddits is singing downstairs. We've only met Duddits while he is crying and very mm. upset. He is singing. She remembers how Beaver used to sing to him and calm him down. And then again, we know Beaver started crying when Pete died. And so mm. she knows that if Duddits said it, it's true. These two are dead. And he is fully dressed in his room, looking out the window with his lunchbox, Mm -hmm. singing the Scooby-Doo theme song. He's ready to go. He is ready to join the adventure. (laughs) He doesn't have his lunchbox because he makes it. He's like, Mom, I need a lunch. Yeah. (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) Love Duddits. And we get this, Roberta has this image in her head of the child versions of Beaver and Pete showing up to take Duddits, which bothered me a lot. Yeah. Very unnerving. Now let's get back to the camp. Owen's psychic ability is growing with the virus, and he sees an image of two soldiers shooting themselves and knows these might not even be the first suicides. Mm -hmm. They're certainly not the last. Maybe I just heard it wrong. When all of this is going down, when the plan is starting to happen, because Kurtz wakes up. Because his mm-hmm. normal alarm bells are going off. Because he makes a point <laughs> to say that he, the telepathy is gone. Mm-hmm. But everybody else still has it. Because Kurtz and his copter were so far away from the explosion. So he didn't get any. The virus was, the aliens were creating this low level telepathy. Since they oh, slaughtered okay. them all, it's it was all the gone alien. away. Okay, mm-hmm. thank yeah. you. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. How, so it's the virus yeah. now. Yeah, and we know, well, we know for a fact that. Kurtz doesn't have the virus yeah, because he shoves his finger up his butt. Yes. And that's how you check. (laughs) He also checks his gums and tongue, and I hope that he did that in the right order. (laughs) (laughs) Because it specifically says it in the wrong order, and I I hope. (laughs) I just love, I'm so glad I'm listening to this one, because (laughs) when that happened, I was... I immediately gasped <laughs> when he was like, he shoved his finger two knuckles deep up his butthole like and that's... then goes, I'm clean. <laughs> and I had to turn it off. You know that is just part of his daily routine. Yeah. Virus or not. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, Owen has given Henry. Speed. Speed. <laughs> yeah. Chewable yeah. speed. Military speed. Yeah. And Henry goes into the barn with the other infected and uses them all as a psychic bullhorn and puts a picture in everybody's head about how they will be slaughtered when the soldiers are ready to burn them alive and move on. So cool. I I love the the cooperativeness of the Mm -hmm. telepathy because he puts out a, a vision of just a person being set on fire in front of their girl. yeah in front yeah. of their children but regardless everyone was putting their own mm-hmm. face in this person uh, on this person in the vision yeah it's just really yeah. cool i i think so and i like that the inside the store there are people playing poker who are all hiding their own infection from each other which mm-hmm. was funny and they start hearing the minds of 317 people start chanting now and shit goes crazy. This was unexpected because they stopped to talk about, Oh, Owen, make sure to tell Henry, like your plan sucks because (laughs) all of these people are trained and they are trained to, when something like this happens, their training kicks in. Like you're not going to get the drop on them. He's wrong because some of the infected soldiers turn and it becomes not, military versus civilians, mm-hmm. but infected versus uninfected, which yeah. is really cool. The massacre, just the, the description of all of the chaos is yeah. great, but the the stuff that's confined to Goslins, <laughs> yes. like the dude hiding under the desk, hoping to God no one finds him. <laughs> People are being trampled. They're being electrocuted. They're being shot. Biting yeah. each other. Yeah. It is madness. Kurt steps out and he just sees his camp falling into chaos, which is something he cannot handle. And knows that Owen has something mm-hmm. to do with it, Which I really liked. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that he walks out and his first thought is to start taking pot shots yeah. at the soldiers that are running away. Yeah. Because he's like, fuck those guys. They're doing <laughs> a bad job. 
But then he's like, ah, I'm busy. <laughs> yeah. He is becoming completely unhinged at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Henry and Owen have made it out and they are running to the snowcat under gunfire because soldiers are shooting at them. Kurt's personally taking shots at them and hitting the cat from as far away as they are. Which just shows that he Owen is aware of how good a shot mm-hmm. Kurtz is and knows the ones that are hitting them are, are his, him. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when we find out that Owen rigged some of the generators to explode <laughs> and throws right. darkness into the whole camp. While uh, running around the camp singing a Pointer Sisters song. Yeah. His head. <laughs> I didn't know who that was. Although, yeah, they say, uh, they say it's a Pointer Sister song. Which Henry inexplicably thinks is American as apple pie, and like I, I like Pointer Sisters are fine, but I don't think they're like ubiquitous in any way. I'm just glad he didn't sing it in a weird baritone <laughs> voice. I'm gonna have to go back and yeah. listen to the Eggman. So Kurtz gives the order: kill all the infected, no matter if they are soldier or civilian. And then we are going to hunt down Owen Underhill, and we are going to make him pay for treason. Mm-hmm. And Owen and Henry head to Derry to find Jonesy and maybe find Duddits? Question mark? I don't know, probably not. Yeah. Seems like a red herring. Duddits <laughs> yeah. probably isn't involved in part three. Uh, but that's where we we leave things off for part two. Ben, what do you think's gonna happen next? Oh no, I just had one more question. Yeah. Another one last thing that I, I don't know if I missed. The cliffhanger at the end of last episode, someone being a TV star. Oh, Jonesy's Has- a movie star. He's in his own movie. (laughs) That's what it is? Yeah. That's the dumbest fucking thing. (laughs) God damn it. I I don't know. I was waiting for like a TV crew to show up Uh, or something. No, No, he's watching Sympathy for the Grey Boys starring Jonesy. That's dumb. Okay. That is it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us next time where we finish the book. For Joshua Kahn and Benjamin Graham, I'm CM Alexander reminding you, We're going to be heroes, not because we want to, but because there are no other options. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to Dreamcatcher Part 2. We hope you enjoyed it. By the way, I was right about Jonesy hiding his knowledge of Henry behind the tree for Mr. Gray. The memory visions, though, those are more open to interpretation, and we would love to know what you guys make of those powers and what effect they have on our characters. Let us know on our Facebook or Instagram at Dairy Public Radio or Twitter at Dairy Public. You can also send us an email at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. And hey guys, before we go, I've got Josh with me today to tell you about how much I like my old world style beard and skin lotion, our sponsor for this episode. These products are handmade and completely natural. Nothing goes in anything that you can't spell or pronounce. Ladies, you might think a company with a name like Old World Style Beard and Skin isn't for you. But as a fellow lady, I'm here to tell you that you don't have to have a beard to enjoy their products. Though, if you are a lady with a beard, then you are doubly lucky because you can use the beard balm and the skin lotion. I have the vanilla lotion stick. And in addition to making my skin feel awesome... It has a pleasant, earthy smell that's not overpowering. Not only that, the products are affordable. And if you, like me, are tired of being charged more just because you have a vag, then you will really appreciate these guys. Check them out. You care about what gets absorbed into your skin. And that's why these people take pride in their process and their ingredients. With smells like sandalwood bourbon, cedar leather, and more at oldworldbeardandskin.com. Feel confident in your skin with these products. Our listeners can use the promo code DPR10 for 10% off your order. That's DPR10 at oldworldbeardandskin.com. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.